Yo, fellow DJs, apes, yunters, and Anon frogs. This is Rogatachi here. I'm back in the studio to bring you the fourth installment of the number one voted crypto podcast by the people of Boise, Idaho. Yep, shout out Boise. They love us there. Uh, Goodwill Yunting is presented as always by Yunt Capital. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Dad Nifties. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear more about the NFT project specifically made for dads. Now, if you're a first-time listener, Goodwill Yunting is the crypto podcast for DGENs by DGENs. We are here not with any financial advice, but to offer Goodwill Alpha in the crypto scene, NFT, and DeFi projects, all the ones that you should follow closely, closer than your favorite e-girl. Now, each episode, members of Young Capital will hop on to use our numerous areas of expertise to help you find all the alpha in the space. And we bring on big brain guests to talk about the most innovative and interesting projects going on in crypto. Now today, we are shifting away from traditional crypto talk and focusing on a topic that everyone is buzzing about, everyone's speculating on, NFTs and the metaverse. With me today is OX Bu from Yunt Capital, the man I personally lean on when it comes to all things metaverse and NFTs. Along with him, we have two super special guests. The first is Colborn from Mocha, the Museum of Crypto Art, which is an NFT art museum that lives completely in the metaverse, exhibiting art across digital worlds, and Untitled XYZ, an artist and metaverse architect, who is one of the architects of Mocha and their Genesis collection. And I just have to give a quick shout out to Colborn here, who ran around uh, <laughs> ran around Central Park with his laptop looking for an outlet to charge his computer to be able to talk with us today. And now he's, he's recording from like an Apple store or something. Uh, so the dedication is real. I love it. I'm so glad to have you both on today. Oh, man, it's absolute pleasure. Very, very funny intro. Uh, you should really see where I am right now. It's, it's a bit of a mess, but I appreciate the time and I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you, Rogan Bue. We're happy to be here. Excited to talk about all that's good metaverse and NFT stuff. Excellent. Absolutely. Can't wait to get started. Awesome. So let's jump right into it then. Can we start um, by each of you giving a brief intro into your background and how you got into the crypto NFT, art space, the metaverse, all that. Uh, we can start with you, Colborn, and then jump from there. Yeah, happy to. Uh, born and raised Southern California, went to school in New York City for econ and psych. Did like the smallest stint in investment banking that I could take. It was about six months. Uh, wanted to go, you know, try and save the world from there. Jumped to United Nations Capital Development Fund, where I was working on an infrastructure bank project in East Africa. Uh, saw that project to completion and then joined a wealth management firm founded by vegan Buddhists in Santa Monica, California, before moving on to some you know private family office work, more venture work. And it was in that position that I first learned about crypto, specifically the way it related to prediction markets. I, I first became fascinated with Ethereum and Augur and then was playing you know the ICO game aggressively in, in 2017 started a, a kind of like management and advisory 
uh, firm around that, doing a lot of, you know, syndicated investments and, and, you know, really believing that that blockchain was the financial architecture that I was looking for my whole life to be able to like bend and rewrite the rules to effectuate the change that I wanted to see. It was then that I invested in the Decentraland ICO, did the, the land auctions. It came back in, I think it was January 2020 when they did their big launch. From there, was looking at other worlds, found Somnium space, went in, you know, aggressively there and kind of just, you know, feeling the power of their aesthetic, recognizing that it was VR forward, um, going into that world and seeing that it was just green grass and blue skies and kind of endless opportunity for us to kind of recreate the world that we wanted to see. Uh, knew I couldn't couldn't do it myself and needed to build, you know, partnerships with digital creators. And the way to do that, in my opinion, I wanted to bring, you know, beauty and wonder and imagination to the metaverse. And thankfully, you know, there was a whole group of crypto artists out there minting NFTs. So when I started to put, you know, these two passions together is, was when the museum was born. Wow, that is a uh, crazy journey <laughs> into this space. Uh, a lot of twists and turns there. Really, really fascinating. Untitled, what about you? Sure. Um, well, I'm Kirk or Untitled XYZ. Uh, I'm an artist and architect and resident architect at uh, the Museum of Crypto Art. My background is from kind of the traditional architecture and urban design scene. And Colborne, we might actually have a weird overlap. I worked on a couple of projects in East Africa for urban planning uh, through the Earth Institute. And I think the UN was involved in a few things, so maybe we should talk about that afterwards. But back to, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I first dove into the blockchain world in 2016 uh, when I helped a public park in Brooklyn raise crypto to design and build garden boxes and benches for their park, which was didn't have a lot of funding for public works and didn't have a lot of kind of attention in that respect and. We proposed this idea. This was me and a buddy of mine from architecture school. And this was a project called Steam Park. This was a cryptocurrency called Steam, which is now kind of turned to Hive slash Steam itself sort of went defunct. Um, but that project quickly became a hook into many other projects and precedents that were looking at blockchain tech with a creative lens. And there were many projects uh, in 2016 and 17 who were looking at uh, blockchain tech creatively. Um, this was sort of as NFTs were starting to emerge and it's really just exploded over the last couple of years. And um, it's amazing to see this kind of blend of how creativity can work with code and tech. And it's that connection that sort of pushed me away from the traditional architecture world and into something that felt more collaborative and felt more innovative. It was not architects stuck on their desks on by computers. It was, you know, you're forced to collaborate with folks in a new way. And all the while you're learning about new things. And in 2017, that I stumbled into the metaverse world through crypto voxels. And that led quickly to the other worlds that were being created. Um, it just, it was that connection of all these different things and people and places from all over the world who were just building together. And that was an incredibly powerful thing um, that I'm just still so excited about. And I think we've just begun to tap into the potential of that. And Mocha is one of those places. And it's a place. It's not just a, 
an institution or a museum. It's really creating these places that are challenging what we know about the virtual world and what we can create. So it's a very exciting time. Absolutely. And yeah, another interesting route into crypto for you as well. That is a very specific and random connection there that you both did East African work that the UN was involved in. View, if you told me that uh, you also did East African work as well, I'm I'm going to be scared. Just for the record. <laughs> no, no, no. I uh, I've done no work in East Africa myself. Uh, my background into crypto was. I guess like a lot of young people in their 20s, when Bitcoin first came out and you heard about Silk Road, you uh, got a little bit interested in sort of like, hey, what's this going on here? So got into Bitcoin a bit then. Wish I had that Bitcoin now, I'll tell you that. After that sort of kind of took a hiatus until Ethereum came out. And Ethereum really kind of like spoke to this belief that I had in kind of like the next version of the internet. So, you know, kind of professionally, I studied economics and taught myself software and I I exist mostly in the sort of traditional software space. But uh, I also, I guess, similar to Colmar and I had a stint in investment banking for about as long as I could take it as well. And, you know, but I've always had this like kind of deep interest in economics and central banking and the way that sort of I viewed, especially some of the ICO projects coming out of Ethereum um, in those early days, as having the ability to kind of expand on that. It, you know, I was really intrigued. After the sort of like big bear, I, you know, like like many went into hibernation, but kept all you know a lot of my my shit coins and Ethereum. And I guess last year I started hearing more and more about DeFi and really wanted to get into it, but you know had had a kid as well, so I didn't necessarily have the time to to devote into that. But earlier this year, I sort of dedicated a lot of my paternity leave um, plus daycare to being able to dig into you know what the hell is this DeFi thing, and that like really spoke to me. And and as I was digging into that, you know, th- this was the same time that. You're starting to hear about you know people, and you were getting all these really, I would say, bad takes from traditional media publications about NFTs. And I myself was like pretty skeptical. I would say like yeah, a huge shout out to Untitled who spent a lot of time talking with me about you know what the hell NFTs actually are, and that helped me sort of understand the value prop as well. But I think what really did it for me on the NFT stuff was I was reading an article in Pitchfork, and the author. Probably spent about 2,000 words discussing how they couldn't see a use for NFTs in the music industry. And by the end of that article, it's like, I can't stop thinking of use cases for NFTs in the music industry. And what kind of occurred to me was people are focusing too much on the kind of like meme of you know, people and some of this other nonsense, unless on like what the actual technology of ERC-721 enables and what you can and can't do. And with that in mind, I sort of started to get deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole, look at projects that were trying to do something novel. And that then led me to the metaverse and and thinking about like, okay, like digital land, you know, when you say it out loud and you haven't thought about it, it seems kind of silly. But when you think about, when you think about like the way that people interact on the internet today, it feels actually like a really logical next step in how individuals are going to meet up and gather and communicate and collaborate in a digital space. And 
like all of these different sort of like, you know, breadcrumbs that I've followed have just led me deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. Love all the intros there. Now, before we get started on the specifics of Mocha, I think it'll be helpful to lay out what exactly the metaverse is. I see the phrase thrown around a lot, especially on CT, and it seems pretty broad. Can you guys dive into what exactly the metaverse is and how you imagine it kind of unfolding in the future? I'm, I'm, happy, to, I'm happy to give it a go. It's a tough question, right? The, the metaverse for me, obviously you can think of it as like the digital expansion of our physical reality in whatever way that is, right? It can be through an online browser, it can be through AR, it can be through VR. It's how do we begin to extend realities into something that is meta and is an overlay on, I guess, the, 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 the universe, perhaps. Um, it takes many forms. And to me, I guess what is most exciting about it is that I think like as society, we have this incredible fascination with like going out into space and Elon Musk has told us, you know, we're going to Mars and this becomes something incredibly aspirational. But I think it's, I think it's wrongly outward when the focus should be inward. I think what the metaverse is giving to people is the ability to kind of like reach into their subconscious, the depths of their imaginations, uh, to, to re-invite a, a reality that <laughs> is surreal, but you can bring it into being and you can bring it into being in the metaverse. And it allows mm. for deeper kind of internal explorations as opposed to these like outward explorations. And of course, because it is digital, it is scalable, it is efficient, and it is shareable. That's a really interesting way to think about it. Basically, like a area in which you can go into yourself, yet create a digital landscape of this uh, exploration. That I like that. That's really interesting. Untitled, do you have uh, anything to add there? I, I agree with everything that Colborn said. I really like how he phrased it as a, a kind of virtual overlay on on life and things. And I think, you know, the word gets tossed around a lot. And I think that's because it's being defined constantly through all these new contexts that we can communicate and collaborate through digitally or virtually. Yeah, I guess, you know, the term itself came out of a novel called Snow Crash in the early 90s. And that kind of stuck with people a lot and is sort of being re-enlivened now. Because it's, you know, the the Definition then was, you know, a collectively accessible virtual world. And the blockchain is a kind of natural infrastructure to power a metaverse um, because it can create a mutually accessible environment that's both economical and uh, uh, ex experiential in different ways. So it's, it's a term that you see a lot. And I think that's because it's so, it's being so defined in many different ways. And I don't know if there will, if there will be one metaverse, I think right now you'll see with many apps, there are many metaverses and maybe that's the state of how things will, will be. I, uh, that's, that's some really good and interesting background knowledge. I did not know it. It came from the nineties. Uh, that seems pretty prescient. The next follow-up question would be, how do you guys see the reinvention of art in the crypto space? Now we think about, you know, what you just talked about in terms of being able to dive deeper into our subconscious and then making that digital, you know, that seems automatically like a, a, a place where art can flourish and thrive as art is like the exploration of the interior in many ways. 
How do you see the reinvention of art in the crypto world? How can these values we have of democratization and decentralization apply to the NFT art space? Do you want to start with this one untitled, our uh, resident NFT artist? <laughs> sure, I'll do my best. I think it's it's a really good question. It's a big topic. I think I'll start with this literally, uh, maybe because I like uh, I'm an architect. I like to think literally sometimes. But if you're, I think it's decentralizing art in that art for so long has existed on a frame on a wall. It's, it's a rectangle on a wall. And I think what we're just starting to see is people embracing what the technology can do for the medium itself of art and the experience that surrounds that. And so I think we're, we're still not even really seeing the full implications of what this tech can do for art and how artists can practice differently. We're still seeing people tokenizing their Instagram feeds. And that's not, that's not crypto art, in my opinion. That's not what this movement can do. I think what we're going to start seeing are tools that are native to the crypto art scene that allow artists to practice differently and create new types of media. I think that's where the metaverse is so exciting to me because it's a context. It's not just an, an experience. Um, it's not, it doesn't make sense to put a frame on a wall in a metaverse, in my opinion, because that's something you do in the physical world. So for me, what uh, I see about, you know, reinvention of art, I think art is going to look and feel and be an experience that's so different than what we know from a typical museum or a typical gallery or a typical apartment with stuff on the wall. I think we're, we're about to see something very exciting out of that. So I think like the, the simplest way to think about this is what did like cryptocurrency do to the financial systems and the banks, right? It took a, a very like archaic, rigid, structured system and said, you know, we don't need this. We can do all of this kind of you know, in the digital with code, and we can do it trustlessly. And I think NFTs present the same threat to very, like, rigid institutions and power structures in, in the traditional art worlds, where we're just coming along and saying, like, we are refusing to play by your rules, we will break all of your rules, and we will create the culture that speaks to us and this movement. It's no secret always that like the tech industry and the art industry have mixed like oil and water, right? Because the tech does not rely on, on tradition. No, it relies on disruption and innovation. And a lot of the art world is just very stuck. So it never just captured the attention because quite frankly, it's boring to walk into a room that has art that is kind of four white walls. You know, we grew up playing, you know, RPG video games and adventure video games and the generation before us, you know, they're playing Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft, whatever it is, you know, their experiences are grounded in the digital and they're having social digital experiences uh, instead of going to a gallery opening or or whatever it might be. It just, I think, missed us. It just missed us. Um, unless you were born into it or there was really no, it was not accessible. So when we begin to talk about like democratization, well, you know, our spaces live on the internet. They're, they're open. They are free. 
anybody at any time can bring it up on their phone, walk through the museum, walk through these exhibits. Um, they can throw on the VR goggles. They can have that, that next level escape and they can do it from kind of like the comforts of their own homes and they can do it with the friends all over the world that they want to. And it becomes a, a public good space for what I like to think are, you know, like global value aligned villages where suddenly, you know, you do not need to kind of like force an identification with the people that live in your same geological sphere, but you can begin to build connections all over the world with people that share your same value system. And because you guys are connected on a deeper level than just where you exist physically, well, you're able to, you know, work together more passionately uh, about, you know, the, the ideas and projects that you care about. And if you can do it in a setting that is kind of grounded in art and is grounded in, in pushing, uh, you know, the, the limits of kind of innovation and, you know, the future, I think it, it just encourages ideas that are more forward thinking um, and not so grounded in kind of like the past or tradition. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, and I tend to kind of like agree with everything you guys said. Uh, and I think this kind of leads perfectly into sort of, you know, given, given that context, you know, how specifically do you guys see the role of Mocha in terms of redefining or shaping what art can become in the digital space? I mean, in, in my mind, it's, you just have to do right by the artists, right? I, there, there was a point in time where, you know, you had to make a decision. Do you believe in the artist? Do you believe in this as a valid art movement? Like how, or do you want to use it as a vehicle for speculation, right? Do you just want to collect artists and put them in your museum and try and sell them? You know, I think I, you know, I think we as, as Mocha are the only one that chose to really believe in this as an art movement and to say that there is incredible power in Ethereum as an open access network, right? To invite creative opinion from all over the world without any immediate discerning of or gatekeeping as to saying, you know, this is art and it does not belong here. No, it's, it's open. Right. And we consciously seek to curate the breadth of this space instead of focusing on any one particular artist and saying, you know, this is the best because of X, Y and Z. Like, I truly believe we are post form and post aesthetic. And what this movement speaks to is the power of the technology to be a, a democratic or even like this this primordial soup where many voices can rise out and we can see and experience and feel creativity from untapped corners of the world instead of it being, of course, like very, you know, Euro Western centric art. So it's, it, it is, it is unto itself, this an incredible revolution. That's a, that's a really awesome way to think about it. I think giving artists the power again really does speak to the ethics and the the purpose of Ethereum in so many ways and, and what crypto brings to the table. Along similar lines, many people talk about NFTs kind of being in a bear market right now or a bubble having been popped. Yet, from what I'm seeing, NFTs are culturally the most adopted aspect of the blockchain. I mean, we're seeing stars like Mike Tyson, rappers like uh, Jay-Z, you know, now rocking NFTs as their profile pictures, celebrities and 
artists in all different spaces are now using NFTs to either sell their stuff or, you know, build upon access to them in so many interesting ways. And I personally think if crypto wants to be the world changing movement that uh, we think it can be, then it, it can't just be about finances, right? There has to be a cultural draw. And I'm curious, being far deeper in the NFT space than me, um, what do you both see unfolding or developing here that others might be missing? Uh, what role do you see NFTs, digital art, and the metaverse playing as, as crypto adoption continues? Uh, do you want to start again, Untitled? Sure. Um, it's really, uh, really good points of discussion and really deep questions here about kind of honestly the nature of the internet right now and and what people are are creating and i mean i I think it's definitely not just about finance what the nft movement is doing i i think you know there will be many bubbles through these different phases of of life that this new tech is experiencing but you know ultimately for me at least i feel like it's about more of an attention economy and NFTs are a mechanism that can begin to measure attention in a new way. And attention doesn't imply that, you know, art is a commodity. It's more about how do we measure different things and get a gauge for things in the digital era. And I think if you create a digital piece of art, uh, you're, there's more behind the layers as you peel the back about the art and about the artist that you can understand because so much of this is on chain so much of this is discoverable in different contexts. Ultimately, I think this attention economy, you know, what we're seeing are community building tools like we've never seen before. People can create a community overnight uh, using the momentum of media in totally new ways. And I think, you know, that's why this stuff is still, I, I haven't really, you know, there might've been a down dip for a week, but I feel like it's still really, really intensive right now. And what people are creating, it's just incredible. Um, a lot of it is terrible, but a lot of it is really amazing. And it's providing artists, <laughs> you know, as we've seen. So, you know, to me, I think it's about uh, community building tools and NFTs providing all of these new sort of skill sets for media in the digital mm. age. Yeah, I'll say it's, it's hard right now to wrap your head around kind of the size, scope and scale of the, the cultural opportunity here. Um, you know, when we decided to be the Museum of Crypto Art, it was believing that, you know, crypto art was its own visual language that spoke to very kind of abstract and intangible values that we as cryptocurrency users hold, whether it's, you know, the rights to, you know, data sovereignty or privacy, anonymity on the Internet, uncensorability, immutability you know, the power of open access networks. All of these are, are very intangible values that take a level of abstraction for people to understand. You know, of course, somebody, whatever, my parents' generation, for example, because they cannot hold a Bitcoin, because they cannot see a Bitcoin, they do not believe that a Bitcoin is real. But I believe that NFTs from a cultural angle begin to present that visual language that paints a community of something other than like drug dealers, money launderers, or whatever the mainstream media has been pushing around us. And we begin to, we begin to see like the beauty and power of those ideals through these artworks. And this is fostering a, another level of adoption 
that is is just bringing it further and further into you know a an accepted position where the ideas are leading um, instead of kind of like the the legacy bad stories of of Bitcoin. So you know from from there it's it's also about like the scalability of the assets. I, there was a defining moment I remember where you know I had an NFT in my wallet. It was simultaneously being shown in my museum and it's simultaneously being shown at Shibuya Crossing to whatever it is, 2 million people a week. So for the first time, you know, really extending the ownership of digital artwork and being able to share and spread it all over the world. Well, this is uh, this is really novel territory for the types of art experiences that we're going to be having in the future. I've been thinking a lot about this where, you know, each Right. If we're, if we're at the forefront of Web3 here, you know, then let's take a look at like Web1 and Web2. And with those sort of kind of iterations of the Internet, each one of them had a, a sort of culturally relevant killer app that took this from just some novel thing that a bunch of nerds used in their basement or whatever, you know, the, the normies want to think, to something that really became a, a global phenomenon and a crucial part of everyday life. So. With Web One, I really think I think it was email, and AOL played a huge part in that. You know, without AOL, does you know software does the internet? I mean, I think it eventually gets there, but you know, there was this big moment where it was like, oh shit, like we can just send an email to someone who you know my 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 family lives in Florida, but I live in California. I can send an email to them. I don't just have to call them on the phone. Like it was a real, it sort of like made the internet feel tangible to people. And I think that like social media was sort of the killer app of Web2 in a way where, again, it sort of took the it took a lot of the work that was happening behind the scenes with you know restructuring and reshaping the way the Internet was evolving and gave people a connection to their daily lives that made it feel like something that they needed to live with rather than just something that was kind of a, you know, nothing burger. And I think that's what like NFTs are doing right now. Most people don't have an interest in their finances. Uh, they certainly don't have a positive emotional relationship with their finances. But art, whether it's you know cinema, erecting on a wall, as we've been saying, music, you know, any of this stuff, it, it is emotional. It is about you know context and perception and how does it make you feel. And NFTs sort of can carry the torch of the sort of killer apps that have come before each other iteration of the internet in terms of providing this, uh, you know, let's call it like a gateway for people so they can feel emotionally connected to where things are going. And that's like realizing that I think really like fundamentally changed the way that like I viewed NFTs as well. No, I, I, I totally agree there. Shifting back to Mocha specifically, uh, one thing that really fascinated me as I was reading the docs about Mocha was the Orga, I think, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Agora space, um, this public assembly space in the museum. How do you guys see this space functioning now and in the future in spaces like this? It seems like this could be a place in the metaverse for people really all over the world to gather, to talk about art, to discuss ideas. Um, to do my favorite thing, which is just like shit post. Uh, you know, how how do you guys see spaces like this um, working in the future? I I think with Agora, uh, this was 
Colborne, Shivani, and I were thinking about how to create a museum form, a museum architecture that could serve many purposes. Um, so Agora has, yes, this like really intense opening where uh, the frames sort of warp to create a cavernous public space that can be used for lots of things. And our hope is that it can serve lots of different functions, accommodate all sorts of different experiences as the metaverse matures and as more opportunities are available. I think uh, one thing to note that was surreal for me, at least, was at the opening of MoCA, there was uh, everyone gathered, all these avatars gathered in the center space, and then we had a musician perform, play guitar and sing. And it was really bizarre. <laughs> People were, avatars were like, there's a dance emoji, emoji uh, emotion that you can do with your avatar. So everyone was sort of dancing. And I think, you know, that's just the first step. But I know that there are many different ways of retrofitting that space uh, so that it can accommodate all the different programs that Mocha is looking to, to pursue, which, you know, could be a pop-up, could be a fashion runway, could be you know, hopefully one day people can hop in the metaverse and like graffiti the structure itself. I don't know. I think it would be fun to see so many different things happen there. Yeah, I'm, I'm super into all of that, right? It's really meant to be just like an open and public space. You know, now that we have the Mocha token, we're also like beginning to aggregate what it means to have decentralized curation. You know, so in this space right now, there's the ability to host about 45 works. There's 160 works currently in, in the Genesis collection. The Genesis collection will always live in the Agora space. That number, I think, by the time we finish the initial round of contributions and art from Mocha token swaps, uh, should get to around 300, 400 pieces. So I'm excited for the community to begin to, you know, start taking leadership in deciding what they want to see in this building and how they want to see it represented. And then for people, you know, to open up the building for people to schedule their own events inside of there, whether it's a, you know, an investor call and update or, you know, it's a, a blockchain conference after party for the people who weren't able to make it. I really want this to kind of just be like an open communal space where we're collectively deciding on the art that is important to us, the history that we want to preserve um, and what is what are the, you know, NFTs, artifacts, and objects that speak to our culture as cryptocurrency? Yeah, that's super interesting. And I guess that's kind of a, a great segue into chatting about the Mocha token itself and sort of the role that the token and kind of through the token, the community in general can play in, you know, both you know, curating the collection, expanding the you know museum as well and and sort of you know where where that token sort of fits into the the bigger picture i'd love to sort of get your thoughts on that coborn yeah i mean the you know the beauty of the token is that you know for the first time well there's there's <laughs> there's a lot here right the the highest goal in my opinion is to invite democratic curation back into the art process a return to what is the truth of the community as opposed to what somebody might be pumping, speculating on, or just trying to drive interest to through dollar signs, right? It, it is supposed to return the conversation back to the arts. And specifically, it's supposed to empower the earliest creators in the space to be the determinants 
of kind of the future of this space, knowing the history, knowing where it came from, working to preserve the integrity of what this movement meant to them and why they were here in the first place, creating when there was no real economic incentive. And for me, this is like, what is the ideological underpinnings of crypto art? And I think nobody knows that better than the artists themselves, as opposed to, you know, what crypto traders might be more interested in trading. So 50% of the token supply is meant to just grow the permanent collection of the museum. And, you know, what this allows us to do is to really build a community collection, right? To invite other collectors in to be patrons of the art, to show that they, you know, have an appreciation for a certain artist. I myself collected aggressively. I was not able, of course, to touch every corner of the market. So it's, it's an invitation for people to do this as a community. It also, you know, allows people to have more voice and power and say in, in the future of this crypto art space and movement that is incredibly nascent. But it also gives them, you know, practically speaking, the ability to have liquidity around their art assets. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that came into this space on the hype. You know, what are they going to do? Are they really going to leave these art assets in cold storage forever only to sell them in five, 10 years? In my mind, it doesn't really make any sense. Like donate those pieces to the museum, take the liquidity of the token, participate in the governance of the space if you feel like it, but let us do what we're best at, which is the building of the metaverse spaces, the curation, the storytelling around those pieces. And, you know, that is kind of a core function of what a museum should be doing if we are going to be recognized as a, a valid art movement. Um, and we're going to, to spread this to a place where, you know, more people are incentivized to collect, where we can grow the space, where we can have more artists in, where we can allow creatives to earn a full-time living and really empower them to, you know, go deeper into their practice and experiment more and continue to show us like the limits and possibilities of what this all can be. That again leads right into my next question here. Uh, what opportunities do you see NFTs offering established and emerging artists over the traditional art world? It's a great question. I think, you know, a core opportunity that NFTs provide for artists that doesn't really exist in the traditional world is, is really connectivity. Um, and we've touched on this a bit in the, in the past questions too, I think, where NFTs are really providing this kind of ever expansive network for people to learn more, even if it's just learning more about the history of an art piece or connecting with a new collector. Um, I, I pretty frequently reference a, a story where, you know, I had uh, an exhibition about a decade ago in uh, in Italy with a handful of other architects, and we were fortunate to have sold a few drawings. And uh, I have no idea where those drawings are. I also, you know, the gallery took a significant percentage of the sale. I know very little about who collected it. I don't think I actually know who collected it. And uh, I actually spent the last couple of years trying to get an art piece back from that gallery that I drew and spent a fortune in the process of and legal process of getting that artwork back. And all mm -hmm. the while, uh, NFTs are kind of emerging and I'm like, oh my God, anyone <laughs> is going through a fraction of this experience. 
you know, NFTs provide such a logistic, just logistically, not even the cultural and incredible movement around this, just even the logistics of it, I think, provide a huge upside for artists. But I think the big thing kind of more culturally is the connectivity of learning about who collects it, discovering that person, making that connection. And all the while you're becoming more involved in a community of other collectors. And I really think like, while people uh, try to, you know, collectors try to collect a lot of artists, I think artists are actually collecting a lot of collectors. And I think there's a little bit of an inverse relationship that this provides that the tradi traditional art world, world doesn't really get into in the same way. Anything to add, uh, Colborne or Bue? Not particularly. Well stated. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think Untitled nailed it there. <laughs> well, you have everyone left speechless, Untitled. The great, great answer. <laughs> we appreciate it. Let's uh, dive right into the Genesis collection then. Uh, it's something that has been brought up a bit. Can you speak to exactly what that is and uh, what the process of creating that was like and maybe what inspired it? Yeah, of course. Um, it was a recognition in, in the market that we have to go back, recognize and cement the foundational creators in this space. It is not like the artists that made it to Christie's and Sotheby's and the ones that are going to cross over that are going to be the heroes of this space. In fact, it's incredibly important to recognize that everybody's contribution only, you know, fed the snowball, right? Or created the sparks that, that, you know, stoked the ember that released this NFT fire to the world. I believe that. Again, like every creative expression from every corner of the world is valid and should be shared on Ethereum as an open access network. And it all leads to something that is so much bigger and better and stronger and speaks to our community. So it was an ideological collection, right? I put in the majority of the first 160 pieces. It was 160 pieces from 160 different artists. The idea is that we will try our best to get one piece from one artist that was creating prior to December 2020 it was a pretty arbitrary cutoff, but we kind of know what happened to the market, you know, the following month. And it was just really meant to set a baseline and give those artists the opportunity to say that, like, yes, look, I was here. I was a part of this movement before, you know, it, it was big. I am in the Museum of Crypto Art because I was a creator. Uh, and and added to this, you know, this incredible redesigning of the creative economy paradigm. I guess I'm curious how. So how does the Genesis collection interact with the permanent collection? When I was kind of going through the docs yeah. and, and chatting with everything, it seems like the Genesis collection might be a subset of the permanent collection. Is that true? Right. And if so, how do you sort of see the permanent collection? kind of expanding over time? Yeah, it's a really good question. The Genesis collection is a subset of the permanent collection. There's really no, I guess, criteria to be included in the Genesis collection other than, you know, you, you were a creator, you contributed positively to the community. It's meant to be more open, accessible, and it's really, quite frankly, meant to be kind of it's inspired after fair distribution models, right? So let's give everybody an equal say, chance, and opportunity 
let's have collectors, other collectors be able to come in and add to the collection and speak uh, and add the pieces from the artists that speak to them personally or that I may have missed. And because there are going to be, you know, exceptional benefits to the artists in the Mocha collection, just to, in the Genesis collection specifically, as an example, you know, we did this, you know, 36,000 person airdrop of all the OpenSea users prior to December 2020, but all of the unclaimed tokens from that airdrop will be distributed pro rata to the Genesis artists. Again, just trying to empower the earliest people to have the longest standing voice in the direction of the museum in this. That's a really smart way to go about it, I, I think. Now, the community gallery seems really interesting. Will these be hosted in the main Mocha gallery? Will they be scattered around the metaverse? There's a bit of a like economics, I wouldn't say overlap, but it, it, it reminds uh, us of the the sandbox. Can you speak more to, to that and exactly how that works? Yeah, of course. Um, the idea is, is that, you know, I've developed in doing this a, sket, a, a set of skills that, you know, others haven't. And I, and I think, you know, especially with the architecture that Untitled XYZ has shown, I would consider us to be, you know, leading builders of the metaverse. Now, I want to bring uh, the ability for people to have, you know, beautiful spaces for their projects with art that speaks to the culture and values of their company inside whichever world that they choose, right? So, you know, I'm happy to loan art. I'm happy to loan land. Like, I just want people in the same way that, like, a company might have built a web page in 1995, I just want everybody to have their own metaverse world, and especially if they, you know, if they share the values, but let's build a beautiful space for your brand, for your company, filled with incredible crypto art, in an incredible design by somebody like Untitled XYZ. It just is, in my opinion, a no-brainer because then you have a public social space. You're able to, to you know, invite somebody just as you would into a web page, into an immersive spatial experience that speaks to your company and your brand. And I want to jump in real quick here. You talked a lot about Untitled and how incredible he is. And yes, I would agree. I, I would like to hear from him. In what ways in designing in the metaverse do you have more freedom? Or in what ways can you uh, reimagine structure and space when designing something like Mocha in the metaverse? Uh, it's a really good question. I think uh, you know this coming from the traditional architecture world, you are presented with an entirely different type of context. And I think what's really exciting is, as Colburn spoke to, every metaverse has its own sort of aesthetic right now. Um, if you're looking at CryptoVoxels or Sandbox or Decentraland or Somnium, there are many different kind of look and feels to those places that you can uh, extract different benefits from, um, and, but also have their own design constraints and limitations. Um, what's exciting is you're not as an architect or a designer, an artist, you're not bound by gravity in the same way. Uh, you're not bound by weather. You're not bound by uh, material. And these are the core things that architecture has been bound by for thousands of years, <laughs> sort of forever. And I think what these worlds provide are an opportunity to explore a totally new aesthetic, a totally new type of building if your building doesn't need 
a window or a roof, um, well, what would you create? Do you need a window or a roof if there's no rain to damage the inside? Um, what what can a building be? So uh, what I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of uh, through Colborn and Shivani, who uh, are leading this effort at MOCA, they're asking these questions and willing to explore these sort of boundaries and 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 pull on the thread of what can architect, ar- ar- sorry, architecture can look like in this virtual world if it doesn't need to be bound by what we're so familiar with. So I, I can go a lot deeper into that stuff, but I think that's kind of the sum of it for me is that there's so much more opportunity. And I think we're just beginning to see buildings that are not constrained by those traditional things. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Uh, and yeah, I kind of want to like lead into that maybe with, you know, a bit of a specific here, which is, uh, so first of all, I'm like a huge fan of, of Hackatow and I'm really curious what it was like from kind of like y'all's perspective working with, with Hackatow, like such a like legendary OG crypto artist on what was like, frankly, like an insanely sweet, like piece of art, man, like that hack of a bear piece is, is amazing. And I know that you, know, you guys were kind of partnering. I think is it is it Arium? Arium was hosting kind of like uh, some yeah. of an exhibition. Yeah. yeah. And then I think there's another sort of aspect to to the exhibition within the metaverse uh, that's more a part of Mocha. And so I'd love to sort of like chat specifically about like one, how was it kind of collaborating with an artist like Hackatow and two kind of untitled getting into this sort of removing design constraints. How, how was it designing this sort of exhibition space for Hackatow? I mean, look, Hackatow is great. You know, they are just the most pleasant people to work with. They've set up a, a wonderful team around them. They speak very little English, which makes it very fun. But in, in our eyes, this was just like the right opportunity for them. You know, Christie's came to, to us and said, look, we have this, you know, Da Vinci piece. We want to just do something, you know, playful. We want to reimagine it. We think that, you know, if Da Vinci was around, he would be making NFTs and he would be leading into the metaverse. So, so how do we bring this 15th century artwork forward into the 21st century? And, you know, uh, Hakatao with their, you know, their fine drawing skills, the fact that they are Italian, the fact that they are, you know, the original of the original artists in this space and so clearly get the future. It's just a very natural fit. I think they blew it out of the park. And then I think what Untitled XYZ did was just, again, brilliant. Reimagine, speak to it, please. Speak to it, Untitled. <laughs> well, I, honestly, Hackatow, they created just a tremendous collaboration. And it's just a surreal, incredible project to be given an opportunity to look at and reinvent a bare head drawing from the master da vinci and it, there are just so many layers here and it's such an interesting project and i'm I, I was thrilled that you know mocha wanted to reinvent in the same kind of vein of how you look at a two-dimensional drawing by da vinci reinvent that for the modern virtual era as in, in a, a kind of a hack and Mocha was looking at how do you almost hack the a building that can react and house this incredible work of art. And so the Pantheon was this incredible building that 
kind of resembled a bear cave in a way and presented us with kind of an opportunity to look at how do you create a gravity defying pantheon that is a building that represents many similarities and kind of the overlaps of of uh, past and present you know it's a it's a building that uh in rome the original pantheon was a building that exhibited new technology it was exhibiting concrete and the wonders it could create with this majestic dome that had led up to an oculus window that was just open to the world and it's a very contemporary building the pantheon which i'm obviously i'm obsessed with um and it's it's to think about how something like that could exist in the metaverse well it exists pretty naturally because it is such a timeless building so this was an interpretation of that that played with the same ideas of kind of uh hosting a sphere playing with this oculus kind of taking the walls and breaking them down into the panels that became the floor and all the while you have this you know oculus and this bear sitting in the middle that like looks up to the sky and i i just think you know hackatow created this just beautiful work and uh it was i'm thrilled to be involved in this project and i think the whole thing that mocha did with with arium and with eleonora brizzi who curated the project and with christie's it's just a really incredible um, project overall. Yeah, I, I think that gravity-defying Pantheon slash Bear Cave might be uh, a first of its kind here. Um, <laughs> but but this is this is really great because this leads me sort of into uh, a question that I've really kind of gotten stuck in the weeds on a, a few times, which is kind of Christie's. And in addition to Christie's, Sotheby's. So I'm curious to kind of like get your guys' take on sort of what do you see the role of these kind of like old school auction houses starting to get more and more involved in the crypto space? I, I think this is, I've seen this be pretty contentious on, you know, crypto Twitter with, you know, a lot of takes viewing this as just, you know, oh, hey, this is pretty cynical. These people are just looking to cash in on, on this. And, you know, who cares? The people who bought this or people who would have just bought it anyway on like OpenSea. Uh, I'm sort of curious, like what you guys think, you know, both kind of in general and then sort of was your experience working with Christie's on this? Did that sort of change the way that you think about the involvement of more sort of, shall we call them traditional institutions of art uh, into this kind of evolving new art space? I mean, I will say very honestly that I'm very like, Eh, eh, you know, like I can see, obviously, for some people, you know, this is good. Maybe this is what they want. You know, maybe they want to, like, make it to, to Christie's and have that sell there on the Christie side or Sotheby's side. You know, what do they see? They see a tremendous wealth creation event in the cryptocurrency community. They see a, a unique Armin movement happening there and they want to capture some of that volume. Ultimately, was it a good thing, right, that... Christie's took people and sold it for $69 million. Yes, it, it, it made its mainstream, got a lot of people talking. Was it great that they went then and, and sold CryptoPunks? Yes, you know, it got a lot of people talking in, in high places. I don't think it's necessary, but in some instances it's helpful. It is a bit of a rubber stamp that says, okay, this is valid and acceptable to a centuries old institution. Uh, like Christie's and Sotheby's, 
Um, but at the same time, we never needed that rubber stamp to begin with because we already knew it was valid to us. So for me, it's, it's a lot of mixed emotions. It's going to come down to personal opinion. Um, I thought, you know, they were fine to, they were great to work with. Noah Davis is a good guy at the end of the day. I think he, he cares about generally what is going on here. I think he cares about representing the art in the best way. I think he wants to see it ultimately flourish. Uh, so all to say for me, I think it's, it's net positive, although not particularly necessary. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I see a lot of the discussion online about this. And likewise, for me, it's a bit of a roller coaster of it's, you know, having that rubber stamp of approval is great because it makes it easier to articulate a project to people who want to learn more about it. Having those references to point to that are established make it a little bit easier to transition. And sometimes you want to transition a really talented person into this world. And without those references, it's very, very difficult to kind of uh, draw someone forward. Um, that said, I, what Colborne said, it, I think it'll get there eventually. It just takes more time. And maybe this is a way to speed up the process. I generally feel like on the other side of the emotion too, it's, it's sort of hard to watch sometimes because it can also be uh, not very crypto- art native in some ways it feels like it's a little bit defaulting back to a system that we're trying to escape from as artists and while part of me the artist inside of me wants to you know have a piece at an auction house that prestigious it's also like that's one of the reasons i quit my architecture job is i don't want to be involved in that established sort of system but so your your heart's tugging on the you know you're tugging on those strings both both ways and i think it it varies and I think over time, we'll see better and more specific experiences around art that are that different institutions curate and create. I'd like to see institutions getting more creative with their uh, auctions, just in the same way I'd like to see celebrities get a little more creative with their NFTs and not just sort of drop uh, an image of something. But if they're going to use the tech and get involved, I think, go for it, do it, make something unique and different. Um, but yeah, that's it's a it's a tough question. Yeah, those are really interesting answers, and it sort of like gives me this like random follow up of, do you feel differently about brands starting to get more involved in the crypto art space or or the metaverse? You know, I remember yeah, Twitter just airdropped a bunch of NFTs to seemingly people who were already pretty enfranchised. I, I didn't like Charmin randomly do some NFTs. Uh, I, I think it's kind of inevitable that brands, you know, again, are going to look to cash in here. Do you sort of like have a different feeling about kind of this coming flood of, you know, normie money and, you know, brand legitimacy trying to, you know, kind of cut their little sliver of this pie? I'll just say that for me, it was a complete and utter shock that art led, right? How could you ever imagine that art was what was going to lead NFTs? You know, I would have imagined it would have been blockchain gaming or it would have been, you know, somebody coming along and figuring out that, you know, we need avatars or skins or in-world items. And but it was art and, and so, so fascinating. But I, I guess it just speaks to the creativity that is happening here. I learned long ago that in capitalism, you know, bad things always eat good things. 
You know, it only, this world, unfortunately, only operates to make things like more efficient, more generic, and less human and unique. And I think the moment that we were in was incredibly special. And now everybody knows about NFTs and everybody's going to make NFTs. And unfortunately, we live in a world where like culture continues to dilute. Um, there is not much care for like the depth of process or intention that goes into this. So, you know, it's, and, and then like even a reduction in, in academic formalism. And, and I know already that like NFTs feel like a threat to, you know, museums and galleries because it's, it, it really does quickly, you know, reject the systems that they've propped up and they've tried to, you know, bring formalism and process in depth. But the the new money doesn't care. It's kind of an, an interesting, very visual generation that we exist in that grew up on Instagram that saw a kind of like a lot of fake images, but we eat it up. It's like Kardashian culture. It's so, so strange. So I think all to say that I think there is something like very genuine and and novel and innovative in early crypto art. And I expect that subcultures will continue to flourish and die at, you know, incredible pace and speeds. But more broadly, of course, we're going to see more brands, more commercialization, different types of products that are centered around more mainstream events. And, you know, like the niche and beauty and rawness of these rebel creators that came to the system to just express freely and whatever it is, well, it'll probably get drowned out in a massive consumerism. Yeah, like, I think, I, I think Colbert's totally right, though. It's, it's something where it's, um, it's just people will create different niches just as in everything. This is the way the internet operates. I think there will be niches of, of innovation and you'll have brands who try to do these big drops. I'm, t I'm still totally shocked also that art was the thing that did it in this case. I would have never thought art is like, art was so, uh, it's so surprising. Um, and NFTs too, the just, and having that acronym being spread around like this is insane. Um, it's not a very accessible acronym, um, but it worked. And I think it's just going to open the floodgates for so many other things. And I think that uh, just to echo what Colborne said, um, I think new money is going to look for a more direct relationship with their investment. And I don't think it will be big collections coming from big agencies or, or, or what have you, I think it'll be looking for a more intimate relationship, that connectivity that we talked about between a creator and a collector and or a fan. And I think that's something that we'll see more tools built around, whether that's an artist or a gamer or a game itself or anything. I think people are, are more engaged by that level of connection rather than it being, oh, you know, I got some Starbucks points or I got like a this NFT by a celebrity who has no idea they even launched an NFT or from this company. I think we'll see a whole range of things and some things will click and some won't. Yeah, that, I mean, I definitely agree with kind of everything you guys said. Uh, so I guess, you know, we're kind of close to wrapping up here. So I wanted to sort of bring it back to kind of what's, what's coming. So I think we, you know, on the, on the website and in the docs, you know, you mentioned some exhibitions coming through 2021 and into 2022. I'm curious if you can sort of, you know, give the listeners a little sneak peek at what sort of exhibitions you have in mind for the rest of the year, any sort of artist or styles or anything that you're sort of specifically looking to target. 
uh, or if there's just any additional alpha or leaks, you can, you know, kind of give us uh, about exciting projects and uh, developments you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm going to say like our team is crazy and we continue to bite off more than we can chew and we just want to do everything. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're doing it right. So like next week we are launching the Mocha Sculpture Garden in Decentraland. Um, we are doing a crypto art Argentina event. Uh, we're processing the first of the 44 uh, donations into the Genesis collection. That's just next week. And then there is, uh, we have a, a whole roadmap built around utility, uh, for the Mocha token, creating, you know, new utility and, and what it means to be a member of Mocha that will be released before the end of August. Uh, we're doing a crypto art Asia week and, you know, we will continue to look into different pockets and, and corners. We have a couple of these community galleries planned up and lined up to be executed. We're going to be doing more live art events and showings. Uh, there's, there's a lot. I'm going to be continuing like to go around and, and speak to people and just try and educate people. Is that enough? You want more? I mean, I'll, I'll take what you got, but, but that, that sounds like there's, there's a I'll, ton coming up there. Yeah. I'm stoked personally for, uh, NFT NYC. I'm excited to just like meet people in person. I think it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful event. I'll probably look to throw some sort of party parties with the, uh, with the museum. So let's just like get everybody together. Let's meet for the first time face to face. So much of this project was born, of course, in coronavirus pandemic. Never met a lot of these people. Uh, it was cool to meet Untitled face to face when, when we first started talking about the museum. And there's just so many friends out there, uh, that it only makes sense to like kind of all come together and, and have a celebration now. And I think that'll be the venue for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's funny. None of the members of Young Capital, I believe, have met face to face. Um, so yeah, just speaking along these lines, uh, you know, I I see things like Mocha and the metaverse being able to be places that we can meet. But always, it, it's it's fun to meet in real life, and uh, that all sounds like really exciting stuff. Um, before we wrap up here, I have the most inc- important question of the day. When Yunt Capital wing in Mocha? Let's go, guys. Let's go. <laughs> when do you want it? You know, we're, let's do it. Tell me, let's do it. Tell me where you want it. Tell me <laughs> when you want it. I got art. We'll do something incredible. We'll blow people's. You know, I like these guys, Bio. I like these guys a lot. <laughs> yeah, this is this has been a ton of fun, and yeah, I've I've popped into uh, to Mocha a couple times now. Uh, I was sort of away this last weekend and even pop, popped in with some of my normie friends that I was traveling with to be like, yo guys, like this is pretty cool. Uh, I think you should pay attention to this. And they were kind of like blown away both with the design, the interactive sort of nature of it. And I think, you know, you guys have really built something exciting and special here that isn't just going to connect with, you know, DGENs like us who spend a, a lot of our free time in the space as it is. But I think, you know, as we've been talking about kind of this whole time, it's really going to be a gateway for a lot of people to sort of connect with the cultural relevance of, of what, you know, 
crypto is and and you know what the what the promise of this technology has yeah i completely echo those statements absolutely and and thank you both so much again for coming on thank you colborn for 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 hiding out in an apple store um to record this podcast uh before we head out do you guys uh want to shill yourselves throw out your twitter your website your you know whatever you want the uh the the loyal sweet fans out there to know about you look i will just say if you have made it this far in the podcast that the staking returns on mocha right now are insane it is probably like the best kept secrets it's in the hundreds 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 maybe 700 percent um there's just not a lot of people staking it that's too much i would say i I want that for myself (laughs) (laughs) i might edit that out yeah cut it this out uh but look museumofcryptoart.com uh at museum of crypto on twitter at museum of crypto art on instagram Untitled, you got any uh, website, Twitter, the likes? Yeah, at Untitled XYZ underscore. And that's, uh, you'll find me around on that. And yeah, uh, definitely check out the Mocha token. It's very cool. Um, And yeah, definitely follow the Museum of Crypto Art across the board to get in touch and also get on the pulse of all these different events. There's so much going on, as you heard from Colborne very very excited to be involved in it and super excited for what's in store for the next few months some of you might already know me from my shit posting on twitter uh as well as kind of random discords but i am just uh at ox view he's a great follow for dgens and beautiful ladies alike all right thank you all so much again for coming on As always, one quick disclaimer, nothing said on this podcast is advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or tokens. We may, and often because we're passionate about the projects we bring on, hold investments in the projects. None of this is financial advice. Please do your own research. This is a risky and emerging field. Now, a quick message from our sponsor, Dad Nifties. Have you gone to family events and tried to convince your parents of the power of NFTs and how much they can do and how much fun they are to collect, only to be looked at with blank stares and judging eyes? Well, boy, do we have the project for you, Dad Nifties. Their NFT project allows your dad to mint randomly generated tools, which will then show up in their OpenSea wallet They will have so much fun buying, selling, and collecting tools that they won't be able to do anything else. We have here a dad who has used the product Dad Nifties and is in love with it. I'm going to let him speak for himself. Hey, my fucking son, he showed me this thing on the interwebs. You know, he said, Dad, take a look at this. You can miss some NFTs, get all your favorite tools. I was like, forget about it at first. And then I took a look. I did a little bit of this, did a little bit of MetaMask. Boom, bada bing, bada boom. My favorite tools were right there in my OpenSea account. I had the Phillips Edge screwdriver. I got the hammer. I got the sawzall. But you know what? My buddy James down the street, after I told him about it, he minted the sexiest circle saw I ever seen. So I had to bid him up on open. See, we got enough freaking bidding more over here over this circle saw. But let me tell you, I won. Now I show all my softball buddies my tool collection 
on the Ethereums. Let me tell you, I love it. They love it. I can't stop collecting tools over here. What a great project, Dad Nifties. Thank you to that dad for coming on to give your opinion about dad nifties. I am so glad you enjoyed it. Everybody check out the project today. Soon you can use those tools in the metaverse. That was the message from our sponsor. Thank you so much again for listening. We're coming back in two weeks time. I'm super excited for the next guests we have on. As always, this is Goodwill Yunting presented by Yunt Capital. Yunt hard, yunt fast, yunt capital.